Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Well, like so many people around this country believe, I believe that the glory of God is going to pass through this land one more time. Australia is going to see a revival like we've never seen in the history of our nation, the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The last time we saw this, something like this, was in 1959 when Billy Graham, 60 years ago, when Billy Graham came and ran some crusades across this country. And we started to get a little bit of a picture, I think, as a nation of what it might look like for the Spirit of God again to come and move across our nation with power. There were 114 meetings held over 106 days across 10 cities, both in Australia and New Zealand. Three million people attended these crusades. Remember, we're talking 60 years ago. Uh, The nation wasn't nearly the size that it is today. Three million people. Over 400 remote and regional communities tuned in via radio to every single crusade. 147,000 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. The amount of people who gave their hearts to Jesus, who flooded theological colleges, who went into ministry as a result of that crusade is unbelievable. In fact, you can look at the stats on the theological colleges, but more importantly, you can see the amount of churches and movements that benefited from that influx. The Bureau of Statistics says that there was a 10% reduction in alcohol consumption over the two years, 1960 and 1961. The Australian crime statistics showed a brief halt in the increase of crime from 1960 to 1962. Prior to that, between 1920 and 1950, it had doubled, and from 50 to 59, it had doubled, and then it stopped and reduced. So such was the impact. Yeah. 1960 recorded the slowest growth in the number of marriage uh, births outside of marriage in a decade. Businesses reported an epidemic of repayments of bad debts. Counselors at the Crusades reported burglars handing in the tools of their trade when even a revolver was handed in. Someone said, I was going to do someone in. Here, take this off me. A Sydney District Court magistrate reported a 50% drop in alcohol-related crime. More than half of Melbourne Bible Institute's 160 students were there due to the 1959 crusade. This is, we're not just talking about a bunch of meetings where Christians came out to hear the Bible opened up by an incredible evangelist. We're talking about transformation of a nation that actually became a statistical impact on this country. That's what revival looks like when the hearts of the people turn to their Father God afresh. Folks, I tell you, I believe with all of my heart God's going to do it again. We're not going to just be talking about this, but in my generation, we're going to see the Spirit of God move again through this nation. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you hear nothing else, what I say, God is calling us to get ready. God is calling us to start getting our churches ready. God is calling us to start getting our movements ready. God is calling us to start getting our hearts ready. God is preparing his intercessors to start intercessing. Intercessing? Start praying. (laughs) God is calling his people to come clean and be holy. God is calling the churches to start preparing for the influx. 
God wants Gateway to plant some more. We're going to do that too. But we're one of everyone who's hearing the voice of God saying, get ready. And all in lots of different ways, people are getting ready. I believe God is calling his church right now to intercede in these last days to prepare for this move of the Spirit. But intercession is a very different kind of prayer. Intercession simply means this, to stand in the place of another. To stand in the place of another. It's moving from prayers about them to standing in the shoes of those people and praying their burden as if that burden is yours. That's the difference between intercession and travailing prayer and normal prayer. Through intercession, God will, receive, will reveal insights to you. His heart, His burdens come upon us. Their burdens become our burdens. And our nation needs a fresh fire of intercessory prayer to blaze across it. Of that, there is no doubt. God is calling His church to realize there is power that He has placed in their hands if only we will use it. You know, I think largely people have decided that prayer doesn't work, or they've got bored with prayer, or somehow prayer has become less than important in their lives, and so they've just stopped doing it. Oh, they'll give thought to God. God will cross their mind from time to time. But actually praying, coming aside with God, seeking the face of God, spending time in God, bending our knee before God is not something yet the church is doing like it should. And it's time for all of us to start to preach to each other and encourage each other. We need to be people of prayer. We have to go back to the place of prayer. You see, we're a nation of great diversity. And I hear people talk about that diversity. Some, of course, if you look at the media, there's great militant, uh, you know, blogging and, and opinions out there about the diversity that's in our nation at the moment. Can I tell you, God is not surprised about that diversity. God is setting the scene for a wonderful revival around this world. Can you imagine what's going to happen when the people of this nation find Jesus and then tell their families about it? Wherever those families are from, whatever nation they come from, whatever their heritage is, and that fire goes back around the world, the great Southland of the Holy Spirit will birth an enormous revival to our globe. And we've got to start to see our issues as a nation through the eyes of the Spirit, not through the eyes of social commentary. We've got to start to see our nation, how God sees our nation. And then as we do, as we start to pray for it, we're not going to start praying about them, that God would change them and God would protect us. Fix them and protect us. That's not intercessory prayer. God wants to put our shoes in the shoes of another so that we feel that burden and we start to cry out for them, that God would change their heart to him. See, unity is not possible without diversity. Without diversity, you just have uniformity. That's not the nation we've got. It's not a nation of uniformity. But ultimately, you only achieve unity within diversity with the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God gets us to see that we are one together. That's how we find unity. There is diversity. It's a wonderful diversity that's in our nation. But if we see it through the redemptive eyes of Jesus, we'll see that God is calling us to his feet. Us to his feet. See, the Spirit of God is the only person that can bring unity because he has the power to crucify self-interest. 
It's him that helps us crucify self-interest. It's him that allows selfless love to flow out of us. It's him that breaks our heart so that we can see through their eyes and ask God to help them. That's the difference. Praying about something is very different to interceding for something. Praying about something is very different to interceding for something. Intercession is God's voice crying out through the heart of his people. It's God's voice crying out for the abused wife. But it's standing in her shoes and saying, God, help me. It's intercession is God's voice crying out in the place of the addicted drug addict, God, help me. Intercession is the place of God's voice in the lonely single mum or the depressed and suicidal. But the intercessor, whatever it is, stands in the pain, in the pain that they feel and then they cry out to God. Because why? The intercessor knows two truths now. One, they know the pain of the person that they're praying for, but they know the God of the answer who can bring the answer. And they stand in the gap, they stand in the shoes, they stand in the middle, and they bring these two parties together. That's prayer. That's prayer. We cry out on behalf of the other. And as we cry out on behalf of the other, we, God hears the voice of that cry and comes and moves on their behalf. And we become the intermediary for that person. We become the intermediary for that people group. We become the intermediary for the person that's struggling, the people that are struggling. God is waiting for our hearts to be broken by what breaks his heart so that our transformed heart can hear what needs to be done and take action according to his will. And you know what? His will is going to defy our logic, I'll guarantee. I don't know what this revival is going to look like, but I'll bet this it won't look like anything else that's looked in the past. And the only reason I can say that with a relative confidence is that's what every revival's always looked like. It's never looked like the one before. So if God's going to keep being God, chances are it's probably not going to come like we think it's going to come. But we need to have our candles ready, the wicks trimmed, and we need the flame burning bright. You know, I look at the Bible examples. You know, you, you see Israel standing at the Red Sea on this side, Pharaoh's armies on that side, and you say, God, we need you to move. So the mind would say, well, let's pick up whatever we've got here and get ready to fight because we're going to have to fight our way out of this. But what does God do? God says to Moses, see that thing in your hand, just raise it. And so he does, and the sea parts. And you go, wow, that's different. Wasn't expecting that. Move of God. You know, you get to Jericho and there's these massive walls. And so you camp outside the walls of Jericho. And, and of course, Joshua pulls together all of his generals and all of the people that have been trained in war, studied war looked at the way other nations have done war, and he says, what are we going to do? Well, we've got to break those walls down somehow. Well, let's just ask God. God says, no, no, just walk around them for a while. Maybe six days, but on the seventh day, walk around them seven times, then blow the trumpet and yell, and watch what I do. All right, I will give that a go. And the walls come down. 
or Gideon. Gideon's got 32,000 people ready to go and face the Amalekites. He's ready. And God says, yeah, that's fantastic, but just too many. Let's just drop 32,000 to 300. And we're going to take on the whole nation with 300. Sounds like a dumb idea to me. It breaks my mind to think about why you'd do that. What would God do? But see, that's what revival looks like. When God breaks out, God just does it how he does it. But if we can see it, we can feel it, if we're sensitive to what God's doing, we'll run with him. We'll run with him. We'll know. One thing I know is sure is that love requires human representation. God doesn't do anything without his people. People are crying out all around this nation, God, why don't you do something? God, why don't you do something about this nation? And God's saying back to us, I've done it. You are my body. You are walking on this earth as my body. Now, you act according to my will. Now, you act according to my heart. It's a God, but how will I find your heart? Come and spend time with me and I'll show you it. And as I burn inside you, I'll start to burn outside you. And I'll burn inside you. And through your hand, you will see great things happen. See, because God always uses human representation. He won't not use us, but how he uses us, I don't know. Will it be a rod that he asks us to raise? Will it be an army that he wants us to get rid of? Will it be walls that have to come down? I don't know. But he says, get ready. He says, get ready. Ezekiel 22 says this. This is Ezekiel prophesying to Israel before their exile into Babylon. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath and I have recompensed their deeds in on their own heads. See, in every revival, God is looking for those that would stand in the place of another. He's looking for a man. He's looking for a woman. He's looking for someone that would stand in the place. Will you be that person? Will you join with the body of Christ and be that person? What is the decisions that you need to make on the inside where you say, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, choose me? Because I know this, we'll be in eternity real soon. Real soon. It comes so fast. I can't believe I'm 52 this year. I'm looking at my son, who is 17. We go to football matches all the time together. I love it. And I watch these guys running around on the field, and I look at them longingly thinking, I couldn't do that. But I remember thinking, only yesterday I could do that. I just, and I feel like I could do that. Like I, I look at him, and I think I could get out there and kick that like that. And I get out there for about three minutes. And I'm just exhausted, you know. Where did all those years go? It was just yesterday I graduated from high school. Don't you feel the same way? I mean, as anybody, we're going to be in glory before you know it. In the blink of an eye, we'll look back and say, God, what did I do for you? How did I pray? Look, you may not have any position. You may not hold any office per se. Or, but, but God wants to use you. God wants to take you where you are and take you to your generation, take you to people you work with. He wants to do miracles through your hands. He wants your mouth to be on fire for him. It's going to cost something, but it's going to be worth it. 
One of the greatest privileges is lying on your bed at night time with your heart smiling inside saying, God used me today. How wonderful he used me. There was a young man by the name of Evan Roberts who felt impressed by God that revival was coming to his native Wales. He told a friend, I have a vision of all Wales being lifted up to heaven. We're going to see the mightiest revival that Wales has ever known. And the Holy Spirit is coming soon, so we must get ready. He claimed God would give him 100,000 souls if he would organise a preaching band to travel across the nation during the coming revival. On October the 30th, 1904, Evan Roberts conducted his first prayer meeting after the regular church service. He told 17 people gathered of his vision and urged them to declare their faith in Christ publicly. Though the initial response was slow, eventually all present gave their testimony, much like Anthony did today. Great job again, my brother. Throughout the week, Roberts conducted prayer meetings each evening, calling the youth to deal with sin, renew their obedience to God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and publicly to de declare their faith in Christ. Meetings typically ran three to five hours. Buckle in. <laughs> Buckle in. Within a week, the youth meetings had begun to attract parents impressed with the changes they'd seen in their children, I'll bet. And the Mariah Chapel was filled to capacity, kids just flocking into church. Who thought that would ever happen? Many were unable to obtain admission to the church. Many who had disbelieved Christianity for years are returning to the fold of their younger days. Services would typically run all day from 9 in the morning until 10 at night. Prayer meetings would start at 9 and run till 12 noon. Then from 12 to 2 would be the weekly worship service. Then from 2 to 4 more prayer meetings. 5 to 8 p.m. Then the evening worship service and finally an evening prayer meeting that would finish at 10. <laughs> wow, that's what you call living at church. Shopkeepers are closing early to get a place in the chapel and tin and steel workers throng to the place in working clothes. One night after Robert's sermon, which lasted two hours, <laughs> well, let's give preachers more time, I say. That's what we need. That's what the church needs. The vast congregation remained praying and singing until 2.30 in the morning. Churches were filled for two years across the nation. As Roberts had predicted, 100,000 converts were added to the church. The use of alcohol in Wales dropped by 50%, resulting in bankruptcy of many taverns. Crime was reduced to the point judges in many jurisdictions were presented with white gloves, indicating there were no crimes of violence to be tried that day. In various communities, police became unemployed when they no longer were needed. In the coal mines, how's this? This will make you laugh. Mules refused to respond to the converted miners who began treating the animals with respect and not swearing at them. <laughs> so even the mules were going, <laughs> how good is that? You know, we're in a series at the moment of salvation and we're looking at the life of Moses and we're looking at the Exodus. And I reckon one of the greatest achievements of Moses' life was his role as an intercessor for his nation. That's the tie-in today to our series. He's an intercessor for all the things that he did. He interceded for a people that didn't know God, who finally came to know God and got settled in the land of promise. Moses prays three big prayers for his people I want to really quickly look at this morning. Then I'd want us to have time to pray. He prays three big prayers for his people. So here's the context. Moses has been up the mountain. For 40 days and 40 nights, God's been writing with his finger on tablets of stone. 
amazing. Moses is sent back down the mountain by God because he says the people have rebelled. They've built a golden calf. They have made another God that's not me. You need to get down there and sort it out. And he said, and by the way, I'm going to wipe them all out. And Moses prays his first big prayer in Exodus 32, verse 11. He says this. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, hey, he brought them out to harm them and to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Isaac, Abraham, Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I've spoken, I'll give to your descendants and they will inherit it forever. He pleads with God, says, God, don't kill them. And God says, okay, I won't kill them, but they're not going into the promised land. And so Moses goes down the mountain. Then he prays his second big prayer when he gets to the bottom to God. Exodus 32 and verse 30. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed a great sin and I have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Listen to the heart of the intercessor here. The heart of the intercessor says this, God, if you're not going to, if you're going to blame anyone, if you're going to put the sin on anybody, put it on me. Put it on me. They have sinned against you. Yes, it's a terrible sin, God. But, if, but don't blot them out from your book. Don't take the promise away from them. Don't take your presence away from them. God, take it from me. Let me become the sacrifice through which you work. Doesn't that sound so like the words of Jesus? Let me stand in their stead. Let me be intercessor to these people, oh God. God relents and God says, well, no, I'll only be blotting people out of the book who've wronged me and it won't be you. But he, he says to them, okay, I will forgive them, but I'm not going with them. So God's getting closer. The intercessor is drawing the heart of God and the people together. But I won't go with them. I'll send my angel. And then Moses prays this big prayer in Exodus 33. The Lord said to Moses, see you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. So therefore I pray, if I've found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I might find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. Then he said to him, but if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For then how will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing that you've spoken. For you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. And then Moses said, please show me your glory. Have a look at Moses' language here. First he stood in their stead. He said, God blot me out first. 
Then he said to, the, then to, said to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, then don't come. Moses aligns himself to the people. Moses says, blot me out if not them. God says, well, I'm not going to do that because you're, you found favour with me. So he aligns himself with the people and says, fine, then me and the people are one people. Don't leave us. See, the intercessor puts his feet, her feet, in the heart of the people. He doesn't say them, God, those people, them. They should be judged. They need you. God, move on them. Help them because I'm okay. Yeah, I'm all right. Now the intercessor says, God, it's us. It's me and all these broken people. God, we all need you. God, help us. Help us. Go with us. God, for the abused wife at home, go with her. God, I cry out for her. God, for the drug addict of my city who can't find a way out, I cry out for him. God, I cry out for the family that worries about him. God, I cry out, go with us. God, go with us. God, we need you. Our nation needs you. Our city needs you. God, 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 come with us. God, move on us. Oh God, I pray. The heart of the intercessor. Us. And so God restores his people fully and reaffirms his original covenant. Here's a couple of things I've noticed about intercession. Number one, intercession will cost us something. It's going to cost us. Second Chronicles 7 verse 14, you'll know it well, says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, humility will cost us. It'll cost us. And pray, that'll cost you. And seek the face of God, that'll cost you too. And turn from their wicked ways, well, that'll cost you, but <laughs> that's a good cost to pay. Because whatever wicked ways you're hanging on to, you'll be a lot better without them. Me too. Then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Following God is not easy. Grace is wonderful. Grace is, is easy. Come to God today. If you've not found Jesus, he's wonderful. Come to him. But God will want you to come follow him. And in following God, there are glories that you can't imagine. There is a presence and a wonder in walking with God that will absolutely fill your heart. But on the way through, he's going to just try and pluck some things off you that have been holding you bound. And you know what? Most people say, take it from me, God, because I'm over it anyway. That's why I've come to you. I'm sick of the life I've lived. But if we want to go deeper with God, it'll cost us something. Have a look at what happened to Moses. I've got a table somewhere here. Just take this in mind for a minute. This bloke is 80 years old. He does 12 journeys up and down the mountain in the space of about 100 days. It's hard to calculate the days, but most of the scholars I was reading, it's about 100 days. And the mountain's somewhere between 1,500 metres and 2,000 metres high. It just depends which peak we're talking about in this particular valley where they believe that uh, Sinai is. So that's a pretty decent mountain. I don't know whether you do any bushwalking here, but at 1,500 to 2,000 metres, this bloke's 80. He does it 12 times in 100 days. 
On top of that, he did two 40-day fasts. And one of his trips, he carried two tablets of stone, which God had to write on because he busted the first lot. (laughs) This bloke, he was lean, he was mean, he was hungry, (laughs) he was fit. It cost him something to stand in the gap for his nation. It cost him a bunch of people who didn't agree with him. It cost him... The, the opinion polls at times, they wanted to kill him. It cost him. But this is the one man who saw the glory of God himself. And the Bible says that Moses saw God and talked to him face to face as a man speaks to his brother. What did Moses get out of this? He got the God of heaven. That's what he got out of it. I think if you asked Moses today, was it a fair trade? He'd say, oh, and some. God first deals with his servants and then he deals with the nation. Church, he's going to deal with us first. That's the plan. He wants us fit. He wants us lean. He wants us holy. He wants us committed to him. He wants us ready to run a few mountains with him. And then he'll move. Secondly, about the heart of intercession, I've noticed is that intercession doesn't come naturally. It builds. It builds over time. It's not something that happens straight away. You look in the life of Moses after his first meeting with Pharaoh and Pharaoh is so angry with Moses coming to ask for the release of his people that he takes all the straw away from the people that are making bricks. And he says, that's it. You're going to find your own straw, but you're going to keep making those bricks because this guy's annoying me. And so Moses, seeing that he's getting nowhere with Pharaoh, goes back to God. Listen to his language. Why have you brought trouble on this people? And why have you sent me? This people, me. There's nothing about us in that prayer. They're just a bunch of people God sent him to and he wished God hadn't. There's no intercession inside Moses in Exodus 5. You won't find it. Or equally... Go to the next part, and the children of Israel are complaining now because they're thirsty. They're going across the wilderness from Elim to Mount Sinai. And then Moses prays in Exodus 17, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. He's not intercessing for them right now. But see, intercession will build. Intercession, as, God, as Moses spent time with God, he started to love the people. The more he spent time with God, the more he loved the people. And the more he stood with the people. Finally, intercession brings the glory of God. Did you notice that in this story, and we don't have time to fully unpack it, we're going to read the scripture in a minute, but the glory of God touched the earth after the hearts of the people had turned to God. After. After the hearts of the people. God was reconciled against to his people. God said, I will go with them and I'll cut a new covenant. And then Moses says to God, show me your glory. And God says, I will. The glory of God comes after the people have been reconciled. That's what happens. And so we read in Exodus 33, just follow with me. And Moses said, please show me your glory. And then God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord says, Here is a place by me. You go and stand on the rock. 
So it will be that while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I'll take away my hand and you'll see my back, but my face shall not be seen. You know what I learned about this? Is that the intercessor builds in their heart for the people. Then the intercessor stands with the people and cry out to God. Then God responds to the people that are crying out to God and he restores them and the people uh, repent before God and God heals them and then God's glory comes. That's what happens. But when God's glory comes, no human being is in sight. So the intercessor prays that the glory will come. But when the glory does come, God said to Moses, hide behind the rock, you cannot see me. And he hid the man. So when the glory of God walked past, there was no man you could see. That's powerful. Because in the end, God will visit this land and his glory will come and no man will get the glory. Because no man will be seen. That doesn't mean we haven't paid a price. That doesn't mean we haven't prayed to God. That means we haven't interceded for our nation. It doesn't mean that we haven't carried the burdens we have. But when the glory of God touches the earth, that's all we'll care about. The glory of God walking in the earth. And people's lives that are changed, marriages restored, people that put together their medications that they've thrown away. The restoration of people's lives. Yeah, amen. Clap the Lord Jesus. You bet. Though we make our plans, it's prayer that supernaturally provides and changes things. God says to this church, come to Logan and plant a church. And we have no money, we have no people, <laughs> we have nothing. But we say, okay, God, we'll start praying about that. We're going to come to Logan. I don't know where you want us to go. I remember meeting with QB to talk about the fact we wanted to go to Logan. Where do you, where, they said, where are you going to go? No idea. But we know God, we, we've written a whole manual on how to be this multi-campus church. We're not even a multi-campus church. But we've written a manual about it because we're getting ready for what God wants us to do. Where are you going to go in Logan? I have no idea. And then God, the phone rings and we feel the hand of God and we understand the pain of the journey and all of that we've celebrated. But on the way through, God says, that's what I was getting you ready for. Do we have any idea what was going to happen? No idea at all. But we're here and we'll keep walking. What's God saying now? God says, we'll go to the city. I want you to plant in the city. How are we going to do that? We've got no money. We've got no building. And then the phone rings two weeks ago and it's Bridgie Downs on the phone. They say, we've got a building in the city. We're using it one night a month. Would you like to come and plant a church in the city? We've got an auditorium for 200 people. It'll cost you nothing. Wow. Now we're going to not just... Let it cost nothing. We're going to partner with these wonderful people of God. But that's the heart that came to us. And so we said, okay, God, you told us to go. We have no idea how, but that's what we do. And that's what we need to do. Our God calls us, we respond. He's getting us ready. He's getting us ready. Our movement is getting ready. It's getting ready for a new season. It's getting ready for what God wants to do. Let the prophets prophesy, let the apostles plant churches, let the pastors care for the people, let the prayer warriors pray. And let's see what God wants to do in this nation in the coming time ahead. Would you pray with me for a minute? Father, we know that you're preparing our hearts. God, we know that there's something that aches inside us, that stirs inside us. 
God, to go beyond the life that we live, beyond the life that, that is being put to us that we should want, to, to, to go beyond this idea that it's all about us, that somehow or other our life should be centred around only the things that we want. And God, whilst you want us to have pleasure and joy and freedom and abundance, you have a whole different vision for how that might happen. God, you call us to yourself. You call us to be people that will humble ourselves and pray and seek your face. God, that we would know you, that our land would know you, that our city would know you. God, that the people that have come to the shores of this nation would know you. God, that a light would shine out from here in these days, that you would pour out your Spirit on all flesh. God, we ask for it. God, we've only just begun crying out for it. And I know that we'll cry out deeper and better and more prevailing in the years ahead and the time ahead. But God, for now, we begin to say, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. In our midst, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder this morning whether you'd join me in praying a prayer for our city of Logan. I'm going to put on the screen this, this prayer. It's going to probably roll over a couple of screens. And it's essentially a prayer that I've written, out of, I think, out of the heart of God as I was preparing for this around Isaiah 61. Because I don't think you can go too wrong praying into the Spirit of Jesus who is coming to this earth to see people know Him. So I've written around Isaiah 61. But I want to challenge you this morning. I reckon there'll be a bunch of us here this morning and you'd say, I know I am called to be an intercessor. In other words, I know that everyone is called to pray. But God has set me aside. In my heart, I know I am meant to pray because that is the actual gift of God and the commissioning of God for me to pray. Now, you might be active in that right now. But you may not be active. And I, I don't want there to be any, any guilt or condemnation this morning. It doesn't matter. But if you've known that's you, I just want you to keep that alive in your heart. We're going to speak to that in a minute. Can I just say for all of us, though, we are called to pray. God says pray. Pray. Some will be called to be intercessors, but everyone is called to pray. Everyone is called to lift up their city. Everyone is called to lift up their nation and lift up the people they live, laugh and work with. So this morning, if that's you, if you want to be joined in those two groups, those numbers of people that will pray, I want you, if you'd stand with me, we're going to pray for the city. It's going to come up on the screen and we're going to do it all in unison together. But if that's you, would you just stand? Don't feel any obligation to stand this morning. That's important. But if you feel like, yeah, I, I'm going to be a part of this, I want to pray, please stand. Okay, those that are standing with me, would you, can we pray this prayer together out loud, together in unison, saying these words. Father, Logan City belongs to you. We ask for your spirit to be poured out on our city. Forgive our sin and cause our hearts to turn again to you. By your spirit, raise a new city of righteousness. Come and heal the brokenhearted. 
set free those that are captives. Release those that are bound and imprisoned by sin and the devil. For those tormented by grief and loss, please release on them your peace. Give our city a double portion of your grace and mercy. By your Spirit, raise up those that will speak boldly for you. By your Spirit, raise up those that will be your hands and feet. Father, we ask you to rename our city where others have spoken words of cursing and bondage over our city. We break that curse in Jesus' name. Release on us a new name. Replace our shame with glory and honour. Let all that come to our city see your joy and freedom in our lives. Amen. Come on. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know. 